0: This morning's reading comes from the first uh, Peter, first Peter, starting at chapter one, verse one. So, salutation, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, by Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. A a Living Hope Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable may be found to result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when testified in in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels look
1: long to look. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, this morning we begin a new series. Uh, looking at one Peter, it's, uh, it's I've been sitting around here. It's nice to see everyone. It's great to see you all here. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but lockdown has been a bit of a challenge. i found this fourth lockdown difficult as a person that likes being around people. Uh, I love my family, but I also love being around more than, than just my family. And so it's great for us together. I'm, I'm excited that we're here and I'm thankful that the government's let us meet because I know last year it didn't look as positive for us in terms of meeting as a church that's why we're not doing morning tea uh, this morning because we want to honour the trust that they've given us and so I'm thankful that you're spread around and we actually look quite full so, so that's, <laughs> that's a really nice thing to, to see and, and brings a joy to see all of you here uh, gathering this morning. So as we look at 1 Peter, uh, we're going to look at what 1 Peter says to us about our identity. So we're going to be unpacking our identity as sons and daughters of God. What, what it says to shape us in order to enable us to live in this world. So as we start this, and so kids, this is for you as well. Identity is a massive thing for you as you grow up. What or who defines what you believe about you? What or who defines What you believe about you. The the more uh, people get on in time, uh, in age, uh, they have a more settled understanding of what they're good at, what they're not good at, what they like, what they don't like. And as people age, people tend to have a more settled sense of identity. So where does that flow from? That that sense of identity flows from what they've experienced, what other people have said about them, uh, life. But identity uh, that's shaped from this place of life, what our parents have said about us, what our friends have said about us, what test results have said about us, what work or our workplaces have said about us, uh, over life, that begins to shape and define our identity. And and so how you would just self-describe yourself today is shaped by what a lot of what other people have said about you and by what you've experienced living in this world. So essentially, your identity is formed from your experience of life and it's the, the who and the what that you've experienced going through life. You may have feel like it's your, your identity is fixed and that you've figured yourself out, but... Reality is, as life changes, as you experience yourself through lockdown, you discover something more about yourself. Maybe there's ways that God's wanting to grow you in godliness. Maybe as you get older, you discover that you you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. And so identity, as much as we would like to say is a fixed thing, when it's formed from external circumstances, identity is continually formed and shaped in us. As Christians, this doesn't work. Because as Christians, the, the core of our identity is meant to be derived from how God sees us. And the good news, though, is when the core of my identity is birthed from what God thinks about me, I will find true and lasting joy. You see, what other people think about us and what they say about us is their observations, negative and positive, And it doesn't necessarily add up to something that produces joy in us. If someone comes up to you and says, You're really good at that. I love how you did that. We feel a sense of joy in our hearts. But then when someone comes up to us and, and says, Oh, you're hopeless. I can't believe you made that mistake. Uh, Our identity can take a hit in itself and we can think less of ourselves as a result. I read an article yesterday about uh, Kate Campbell, an Olympic swimmer. A number of years back, she was headlined as our world record uh, freestyler. She was meant to win a 100-meter freestyle race. She was the favorite and she faltered on the blocks, struggled to make it up, slid in in last place in the final that she was meant to win. Social media ripped into her. The news ripped into her. She was only a second slower than, like, you know, her average time for 50 meters, uh, for 100 meters, but everyone was ripping into her. And in this, this article, it uh, talks about these two little girls that decided to send not an email, but a, but a letter to her to encourage her and to remind her of who she was and the influence and the impact that she'd had on them. And she kept that letter for years beside her. And that is one of the things that has enabled her to come back and she's now doing the trials for the Olympics, hopefully, which might happen in in Tokyo. Identity, as much as we would like to think is strong, is incredibly fragile. And as much as other people can appear really strong, In their identity, it's fragile and it's affected by how we relate to them. But when the core of our identity is shaped and formed by what God says of us and we believe it to be true, it creates in us a true and lasting joy. I grew up going to church and I would hear truth spoken about. I could, kids, tell you what truth was, remember it. I could quote you Bible passages as I got older and I've been told to remember these things. But that truth hadn't made an 18 inch journey from my head down to my heart. Now, as I began to study salvation and see, and this was my early 20s, how God perceived me, I got grace for the first time and understood how much He loved me and that was what produced inside of me a joy that I can't find anywhere else in this world. And I know it comes from him. So as we talk about unpacking our identity, we're talking about finding it in this place of what God thinks and says about us. And we're sitting under 1 Peter's scripture because scripture is God's word to us to shape us into who he's called us to be. 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter. Uh, to the, the people in Bith- Bithynia, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus. Uh, so you can see just beneath the Black Sea, uh, that part of land there. We know it as modern-day Turkey. And so it was a letter written to a, a group of people that will be spread far and wide to equip the church to live in the world. You see, the world that they lived in wasn't predominantly Christian. It wasn't predominantly Jewish. It was very much a a Greek-shaped world, and they, celebrating their Christian faith and seeking to live it, were really challenged. And so they they were addressed in this letter as as exiles. How could they live in this world as exiles? And so we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to look at some of the things that it says about us. It It calls them exiles, but they weren't really exiles, because they were part of the, the people there but they would have felt like exiles because suddenly they've taken on this Christian faith and they're no longer the people of this world so they received new birth into a, a living hope as a new creation and so they were different from the people and so as as we grow in our Christian faith we should look different to the world that we live in. It's written, a letter written by Peter to exiles in order to help them to live in the world. Our world, Australia, is not predominantly Christian. And so this is a letter for us that equips us to live in a world where we should stand out like a light amongst darkness. There should be something, as much as we like to be similar to the world, that's really different from about us in the way that we live. We're pilgrims on a journey as we follow Jesus, Uh, we're foreigners. We're part of a a new kingdom. That is, we're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of the family of God and so we're resident aliens. We're foreigners to to a world that doesn't actually follow Jesus. So, So one of the things the Bible says about who we are is we shouldn't at some level fit into the world that we live in because we're different. That means we shouldn't necessarily believe all the things that the world believes. We shouldn't do all the things the world does and we shouldn't see ourselves the way that the world sees itself. One of the ways we should see ourselves is as those who are chosen and destined by God the Father. Uh, Nikki Gumbel tells this really good story about how a child that was an orphan and has been adopted was being teased Uh, that he didn't know who his dad was, his real dad, and that he was a lesser of a person because he didn't have his biological dad. And the reply that he said to this kid uh, was, my dad chose me. (laughs) Your dad just got stuck with you. (laughs) And that's the reality, isn't it? That God has chosen us out of the world. That God has chosen us to follow Jesus to be part of his family. That's an incredible truth that, that you weren't just by default kind of kicked into the family. God has chosen you to be his son and daughter. That you're destined by God the Father, that the God who created the world loves you so much that he sent his son that you, could be adopted, be adopted into his family you're chosen and destined loved by the one who created you uh, in verse 2 and I'm putting the verse numbers so it's V2 verse 2 so if you want to follow along with the Bible I'd love for you to open up to 1 Peter and see what Randall is saying actually lines up with what scripture is saying uh, so verse 2, it also says that we're sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus and to be sprinkled with His blood. Sanctified, what, what does that mean? Uh, kids, uh, what it means is that you're set apart. So, so you have, uh, imagine you have a whole bunch of marbles in your hand. You, you pick one and you set it apart. So sanctified means to be set apart. But you don't just set it apart. Sanctified also means to be washed or to make holy. And so while... This bunch of marbles are dirty, you wash and set apart. One, that's what you've been, do- what God has done with you. As you follow Him, He sanctifies you, He sets you apart, makes you holy uh, to be obedient to Jesus so we have a purpose. That God set us apart so that we can live a life of following Jesus and to be sprinkled with his blood. That is, we're cleaned as Christians because of what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross. And so we're set apart. But this is, when he talks about sanctified by the Spirit, it's a point-in-time thing Happen As you become a believer in Jesus, you're sanctified by the Spirit uh, to be a follower of Jesus, to be obedient, and to be clean before him. But it's also an ongoing thing. So... As you start your faith, you're set apart, holy. But as an ongoing thing, God continues to make you holy. God continues to shape you and make you like Jesus, form you into who he has created you to be. And so the next verse is really important here. Verse 3, he talks about how we're newborn into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As you follow Jesus... As you put your faith in Jesus, you are reborn. You might have heard the, the term, the born-again Christians, that we are born a- again. And you might say, well, I've kind of grown up in a Christian family. I've always kind of known God, but there's a new birth that's happened in you. You might have always known Jesus, but there's a new birth that's happened in you, and so there's a a flesh. Our body is not the the new birth. that breaks and gets old, but there's a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead, that in heaven we have this hope of a new body, but right now we have a flesh and desires that are shaped by the world that we live in. And and so as identity is formed in us, we can be shaped by the TV we watch, by the people that we hang around, by what happens to us. Say you have a bad experience and something happens to you, you're, you're going to be shaped by that. So our history shapes us, but God gives us this good news that you are newborn into a living hope. That is, there's part of you that is growing inside of you that is the new creation. And say you grew up in the faith, uh, it's, it's hard to juggle this idea in your head that you live in this world but you're being given birth to anew. It's hard to juggle this, that you're almost two people in one, are you? No, well, there's two ways of living in one. One way of living is you can follow every desire that comes into your heart. So what is that? I'm hungry. I'm going to follow that desire. I am going to eat some food. And so your, your body, your desire, is telling you to pursue that. But the new birth is to relationship with God. That is... You're alive to God inside of you. And so the newborn Christian lives from this place of being led by the Holy Spirit. Not just not led by every desire of our body and our heart, but led by the Spirit. And so it's a, it's a two in one. There is the old that is dead. So, so the old person is not alive. It's used to living dead ways. It's shaped by the world to live dead ways, but we're called to respond and be connected to the Holy Spirit and to live the new way. And, and so as you grow in relationship with Jesus, you be, should be shaped into the image of Jesus that over time you'll be formed and be more and more like him. And so when we talk about identity and we say, oh, I kind of know who I am now. Well, the truest picture of who you are is jesus and if you don't look like jesus now you've and, and it's not that you know you'd be the exact physical image it's that the character uh of jesus the fruit of the spirit will be reflected in you if you don't look like that now then there's identity work that god wants to do in you shaping work that god wants to do in you and you might say well oh, you, you know i'm, I'm kind of stuck in my ways now but the one who lives in you is greater than the world that we live in so so what does what does the passage say about what we receive it says we receive a living hope in verse three i wanted to pull this out particularly and this i like to play guitar for myself i i John caught me playing guitar in here the other night. But I, I tend to, you know, I'm maybe a little bit flat if I don't follow the tune of others, and so it's better for everyone that I play for myself. But it's part of my relationship with God, and so I picked up my guitar to play this song, uh, Living Hope. Uh, we haven't sung it here, but I would love over time if we uh, sing it as a song. It's a great song that speaks to the, the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that we have. As I picked up my guitar to play it, uh, this fell off the wall. It's been sitting on the wall for 45 years. It picked, maybe it was a coincidence that it fell off the wall at the exact same moment that I played Living Hope. Can anyone spot where it came from? Hamish, hey, you know, I think I've told you the story. Anyone? No, there's a a little box on the wall called an ombre over there. If if you're up the back, you can't see it. It's a little box that no longer has a cross on it. Uh, You may or may not have heard of the purpose of this box. It's where Jesus is hidden to keep him safe. (laughs) In a a more Catholic-style church, so we had a minister that was really quite Catholic for a section of years, and it was installed under his time. Uh, When you have communion, it becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus. And so if there's some left over and you want to serve it during the week, you need to make sure that you lock it up in a safe so that Jesus is protected. That's not the general Anglican belief. The general Anglican belief is that we have a living hope, that Jesus is alive inside of us, that as we receive communion, Jesus is present in us, present in that moment, Uh, ministering to us. It's living, it's active, it's alive, but it's not the bread and the the wine that contain Jesus because Jesus is alive. And so that's where it was stored. And isn't it interesting that as I was thinking about living hope, that dropped off the wall because (laughs) Jesus isn't contained by a box in a wall, that we somehow need to protect him from the world and the world from him. No, we have a living hope. And Jesus is alive inside of all of us and he equips and empowers us to live in the world and as we go about life hope grows, is shaped and formed that as life circumstances seek to compress us almost box us in our living hope works in us Jesus works in us by his Holy Spirit so that we would step out of the box of the old person that we've been compressed into by the world. So we receive a living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, um, fading, kept in heaven for us. Your faith is not dependent on what you can do. Your, Your faith is kept... Jesus, you don't. You're not the keeper of your faith. I need to hold it together. No, He keeps it for you, and and that faith should, over time, grow. And as you nurture it and uh, ponder on the salvation you have, it should, as you read Scripture, grow over time. As you come to a greater understanding of that is that that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That as much as the world would t- seek to draw you away from that, you have a hope. It is kept by Jesus for you. Verse 5, where we receive protection by the power of God through faith for salvation. Once again, you're not the keeper of your faith. Your faith is protected. There's, there's people that uh, have, have come to faith and over time they, they may find themselves disconnected from the church, but... The protector of our faith is not the church, it's it's Jesus. We, we meet together to encourage each other as much as the day approaches, but it is Jesus who is the keeper of our, and protector of our faith. So that even as we go through difficult times, our confidence is protected by Jesus as we turn to him in faith. And so... It speaks in verses 10 to 12, I'm not going to unpack it in detail, about the salvation the prophets and angels long to look into. So all of the Old Testament prophesies towards what we know and have received. That is salvation through faith. Angels long to look into what we get to explore and unpack on a Sunday morning, that we're saved by faith through by Jesus, saved through faith by Jesus. Jesus, And then verse 6, what, what does it also say we receive in this world? Trials. Trials! I don't, I don't like... Can we remove that bit of the Bible? <laughs> I don't like the... You, you know what? Uh, I've heard some people say, come to Jesus and everything will be better. It's, it's not a Christian message, that. Life doesn't suddenly become, you know, perfect once you come to Jesus. That's a challenge for us. Why is that? Well, well the Bible calls them fiery trials. Why does it call them fiery trials? Well, well, you know, there's a Satan is the god of this world. When you think of fire, what do you think of? You think of hell. Where do the fiery trials come from? They're not sent to us from God, but an enemy who would not want us to receive the fullness of salvation that Jesus bought for us on the cross. And so we experience trials in this world from circumstances, people. We experience trials. And God doesn't say, I'm going to protect you from them. What God promises us is in trials, he is with us and he will use them. How does it it talk about how he will use them in 1 Peter? It talks about how God will shape and refine us as people, that what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good to shape us to be more like Jesus. And so, <laughs> trials are, are opportunities for us to be shaped like Jesus. Uh, when when they talk to us about our kids and our kids' future, they, what they say these days which I don't think is a new thought, but I might call it new, is resilience is the greatest predictor of success in life. Uh, What is resilience? When you fail at something, the ability to get back up. Like Kate Campbell, uh, come back and continue swimming. Uh, When someone says something about you that uh, crushes you, the ability to come back. When you fail at your your work, the ability to address the problem and move forward, that resilient ability that your circumstances wouldn't be the thing that define your future, that your failures won't define your future. Where does resilience come from? Well, resilience can come from what people say to you to try and encourage you and coach you in in this life, but actually true resilience needs to be learnt from faith. When we fail to learn resilience through faith, our identity is shaped by our circumstances. When you do well, I'm a good person. When you do badly, I'm just not good. I'm not smart. I'm not good at that. I'm just a bad person. I wonder if you've ever heard yourself say those things about yourself or, or maybe you've heard other people say that about you. They're, they're identity statements that are derived from circumstances but your circumstances shouldn't be as a Christian defining who you are. In fact, our identities should be coming as we sit under God's word and God speaks to us through his word as to who we truly are and as we remind and encourage each other as to who we truly are. When we fail to learn this resilience through faith, circumstances and failures in life will shape us. And it just doesn't work. Long-term, those who are resilient are more successful in life. You want to be more successful in life? Don't let your life be shaped by your circumstances. Let it be shaped by what Jesus says about you. When the core of my identity is birthed from what God thinks about me, I will find true and lasting joy. I'm not sure if you're America's Got Talent fan. I'm I'm not really. Someone showed this clip to me. But I thought this clip was really helpful to us in the circumstances we're in. So if uh, if you want to listen in, and if the music needs to be adjusted, do turn it up. I put it up there for, for that quote. Uh, that she, had. she wrote the song during lockdown. She, she experienced uh, all of what we have experienced as well. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Um, maybe i will change that differently for us today. You can't wait for your circumstances to change until you're ready to pursue true and lasting joy. People are going to move on around us like they've always moved on. Life's going to move on around us like it's always moved on. As you came out of lockdown, life kind of went on. And we got back to living in life and the busyness of life and it kind of went on. And that's the way it seems to work in this world, that life just moves on. And if you don't embrace the joy that Jesus offers you now... Life's not going to shape joy in you. There might, there'll be highlights, there'll be moments, but true and lasting joy comes from the one that offers us eternal life, eternal joy. So, where do I start? Where, where do I go? Uh, say, uh, I want more of this joy in my life. Recognize uh, where you are. It's okay. It's okay where you are. And begin to drink the pure milk of what God says about you. How do, we, how do we do that? We we're going through on Peter. Hopefully, that speaks some of this pure milk to your soul. But sit down and begin to read what Scripture says about how God sees you. <laughs> Not who you were, a sinner, one who is now. Saved by grace. See yourself as one and saved by grace because we can view the Bible through our own lens that, that we're just a sinner. No, you're someone that is saved by grace and we're going to look more at what this identity looks like uh, as we go through 1 Peter. But you need to recognize that, that you're someone that is chosen, destined, sanctified, newborn, secure, saved into a living hope. And the God who called you, chose you, destined you, loves you, wants you to know that hope in your mind and your heart and your life that you would know the joy that he has prepared for you in Jesus. One of the things that's uh, really important for us as Christians is uh, what we say, how we speak. James talks about how our tongue is a rudder that can direct the whole course of life, whether ours or someone else's. Words are powerful. Now, as a church, we often say the creed, and we declare who God is, but we don't spend much time actually declaring who we are. So what I would love us to do over 1 Peter as a series is I'm going to put together some declarations about who we are, and if you're comfortable and want to say them, then... I would invite you to speak out these declarations with me. And uh, over the coming weeks, I'll probably give you a handout that you can even take home. That as you live in the world and are hearing all these things from what you watch on TV and what other people say around you, these can be some of the declarations that you speak over yourself. I have a friend who says it's it's really useful in the morning to get up and remind yourself what God thinks of you. And so he sticks his on his mirror. And so he can look at himself and he has to look himself in the eye because you know you are looking at yourself and speak these declarations. And as you speak what is true of you it can take your hearts a while to catch up. You know the life that we live is full of hurt and pain and, and some of that needs healing in order for us to believe. But as we keep at the forefront what God says about us that becomes the dominant thought that begins to shape how we perceive ourselves in this world. And He does that work by His Spirit. It's not just us working to do work. He does it by His Spirit. And so let me read these out. And if you're comfortable speaking them with me, then I'll give you an opportunity after I've read them out to uh, speak them out with me. So I believe that I'm newborn into an eternal living hope that is... uh, here is not the end. You're newborn. There's an eternity for you that you're being shaped for by God. I believe that I'm newborn into an eternal living hope. I believe I am a chosen child of God my Father. I choose to find my destiny as a, as a follower of Jesus. A lot of this world is, is calling us to find our, our hope, our purpose somewhere else. Find your primary destiny as a follower of Jesus. I receive the continual cleansing of the Holy Spirit. I believe my salvation is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and secure by the power of God. If you're someone that, that, that's anxious or continually underwrites yourself, this is, this is an important truth that your salvation is kept by Him, not by you. I choose to see trials as opportunities for my faith to grow and for me to be shaped like Jesus.